Thank you so much to our worship team this morning. You may be seated. And thank you for coming out and braving the cold November uh, rain. We were joking around there at the pre-worship meeting. There's nothing more November in Iowa than cold rain. It's like you know you're in Iowa when you're glad. No, this is it. You know you're in Iowa when you're like, thank God for this cold rain. It will melt the snow. We're, we have Stockholm Syndrome as a people uh, for this state. We love it, though. Uh, my name is Johnny. I am the campus pastor here at the Bridge. I am excited uh, to be with you this morning. I'm excited that you came out uh, to join us for our new series called Eucharistia. So a few weeks ago, my wife uh, went uh, out of town for a weekend. She went to her parents' house. We're both from Waterloo. She went to her parents' house and spent the weekend there with her parents or our kids could see their grandparents. It's, it's, you know, it's a fun thing for them to do. And uh, when she got there, her mom handed her uh, totes that were her life. You, th- there are people in this room who have given these totes. There are people who have received these totes, okay? Your parents, or, or you are a parent, and you cleaned out your child's room because you're finally going to get your space back, uh, even though they're in their 30s, and you could have had it back 12 years ago, but now you're going to get it. And uh, you clean out the room, and you hand them a tote of their life and say, have fun with this. And, and now they have like 60 Backstreet Boys CDs that they didn't need, um, <laughs> And they don't even have a CD player to play them on. But that's like the situation that we're in, right? So she gives her all these totes. And there's notebooks from when she's a kid with stories. There's journals from when she's a middle schooler. Uh, And then there's the tote with high school stuff. And it's all these pictures and all these other things. And then inside of the high school tote are all of the love letters. Now, these are from me, okay? (laughs) My wife and I met each other in high school, and so she's in the, which makes me feel better reading the love letters, I suppose, but we, she gets out the tote, and these are achingly uh, powerful love letters, man. I, I don't know what, I had some feelings, you guys, in high school, and I had to express them to Kayla as much as possible. I mean, I would have brought some to read, but they are embarrassing. Um, She's the most incredible person ever created. The whole world would fall apart, right, if Kayla wasn't in it. On and on and on I went with all of these feelings. And, and that's nice. They're, that, that's nice. I'm, uh, it's horrible, but it's nice. Um, but I got to thinking about these notes. I got to thinking about these notes and when they were written. Um, we, were, we were kids. Uh, we, we didn't have any real responsibilities. I mean, we had part-time jobs. We were in high school, but we didn't have uh, the kind of real responsibilities that you have as you get older and you have kids of your own. We didn't have any sense, right, of like struggle and pain in our lives. We lived uh, pretty good lives. That's not true for everyone, but it was true for us. We didn't have a lot of that. Uh, you know, I'm sure Kayla and I got into arguments or whatever, but none of these notes were written uh, out of arguments, right? These were all written in rose-colored moments. These were all written out of the abundance of amorous feelings that I had, right, for Kayla. Uh, and so there's all of these feelings there, but they're not based in anything but good things. It's all rose-colored. I wrote them when things were going well. I don't ever in any of these notes say, I'm really, really mad at you, and there's some things that you've done that I don't appreciate, but I love you anyway. Like, none of them read like that. It's, it's just about how wonderful she is. And uh, I think, honestly, I'm still kind of like that. 
I buy cards and flowers for Valentine's Day or for, uh, you know, our anniversary or after I've made a big mistake, right? Um, and the, the things are there to symbolize a good moment or a getting over a bad moment, right? Like that's why I'm expressing my love and my uh, gratefulness for uh, my wife. And, and we, we, I think we're all like that. We tend to express those things in the best of moments. So this morning, like I said, we're starting a uh, two-week series called Eucharistia. Uh, and originally, it was going to be called Gratitude. Gratitude. And then I said, uh, let's call it Give Thanks instead because it's going to kind of run us up to Thanksgiving. We'll call it Give Thanks. And then I'm just going to tell you that this is exactly what happened. Pastor Gary sends an email and he says, if we call it Eucharistia, we'll look really smart. <laughs> and none of us could say no to that, right? <laughs> Eucharistia is Greek, right? So look how smart we are. So it's Greek for thankfulness, for thanksgiving. Eucharistia is Greek for thanksgiving. And so we said, okay, let's, let's do that. Let's, uh, let's call it Eucharistia. And one of the things that I liked the most about calling it Eucharistia was that I immediately thought of the word Eucharist. So if you grew up in a Catholic background or if you know much about the Catholic tradition, you know that what, what we do that we call communion or uh, the, the Lord's table, they in the Catholic tradition call Eucharist. That is when they gather around the body and the blood of Christ. And so today I thought we're starting a series called Eucharistia. It makes me think of Eucharist. Let's look at the passage that we tend to read in church when the time for Eucharist comes up. Uh, what we remember and celebrate when we take communion together. And let's, let's look there and consider what it means to be grateful. Because Eucharistia, Eucharist, they mean the same thing. They mean thanksgiving, thankfulness. What does it mean to be grateful? And so I thought we could get into Luke chapter 22 uh, and look at this story of Jesus and the conversation he has with his disciples the night that he's betrayed and find out what we can learn about gratitude, what we can learn about thankfulness. So we're going to start in verse 7. This is Luke chapter 22. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it, they said. He replied, as you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them, so they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer, for I tell you I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you, for I tell you I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
So when we celebrate uh, communion together, like we will next week, next week uh, is a communion Sunday for our church, and so we will celebrate communion together. When we do that, we do that in remembrance of the, uh, the events that are recorded in the book of Luke. Uh, I think our uh, table even says on the front, do this in remembrance of me. That's a very common thing for the communion table, the altar in a church to say, do this in remembrance of me. Because we want to remember that night. We want to remember the sacrifice of Jesus. But what I think is important for us to also see today is that that night, that Last Supper, they were eating in remembrance of something else. So we celebrate in remembrance of that night, but that night the disciples and Jesus were eating in remembrance of something else. Way back in the book of Exodus, God's people were living as slaves in Egypt. You've seen the movie. Prince of Egypt, right? You know the story. Uh, they've been living as slaves in Egypt, and, uh, and Moses shows up, and he says, let my people go. And Pharaoh keeps saying no, and plagues come, and Moses is, is really pleading with the Pharaoh to change his mind, to let the, the Israelites go. Pharaoh, uh, Moses is coming and saying, God has a plan for these people. They are not your slaves. These are God's people, God's children, and you need to let them go so that they can go back to their homeland. But Pharaoh just keeps saying no. So finally, God gave instructions to his people to sacrifice a lamb and spread its blood over their doorposts. This is a very symbolic kind of a thing that uh, God has asked his people to do through Moses. And, And God tells them the blood would protect them when the firstborn children throughout Egypt died that night. And they called this night Passover. And the reason is because death would pass over the homes that had blood around the doorposts, pass, literally pass over those houses that had blood on their doorposts. And so this event, this night of suffering and death in Egypt, was the event that finally caused Pharaoh to release the Israelites from slavery. This is a big event for God's people throughout all of time. I mean, Jewish people today celebrate Passover. This is a huge uh, turning point for the entire uh, history of God's people. And so every year the Israelites remembered and commemorated and still remember and commemorate that night, the night of Passover. And that was the occasion where Jesus was gathering his disciples together to eat what, they, what we call the Last Supper. And it's really important for a whole bunch of symbolic and theological reasons, but it's also important because it places this whole scene for us today in context. It gives us a richer sense of what the disciples and Jesus were sitting in and entering in and the place that they were together. It gives us a rich sense of context. Because really, ultimately, Passover was not a remembrance of the day after the Israelites left Egypt. The celebration of Passover is not a remembrance of the day after when they are no longer slaves in Egypt. The celebration of Passover is a remembrance of the night that their freedom was one, a night of suffering, a night of pain, really a night of death. And when they sit down to eat Passover, this is what's on their mind, is what has to happen before you can get to the other side of slavery. And so they ate and prepared that night, remembering what had happened centuries ago when their ancestors had prepared on the faith that through a night of suffering, they would have freedom. When the people of God in the book of Exodus gave thanks to God on that first Passover evening, they expressed gratitude on the suffering side of freedom. The suffer- so they're still stuck 
They're still slaves when they're making preparations. They're still slaves when they're preparing for Passover. And that's what we remember on Passover. It's not after the suffering, but you're still on the suffering side of freedom. So when Jesus sits down with his disciples for this meal of remembrance, Jesus draws their attention to that reality, the reality of suffering. And then he does what he will commonly do if you read the Gospels. He takes an Old Testament reality, he takes a situation that uh, Israelites and the Jewish people would have a lot of contextual understanding of, he takes that and then he applies it to himself. And he says to his disciples, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. So uh, next week, my family and I are going to Indiana, and we're going to celebrate Thanksgiving with some very, very dear friends of ours. And already, a sense of dread is settling in. Not because of what happens in Indiana. I'm very much looking forward to that. But if you have ever traveled with one or two or three, and I have four kids, you know that you have to suffer first. You've got to get through Indiana first. You have to clean your house because your wife doesn't want to come back to a dirty house. That's the thing. You've got to pack 16 bags. You've got to make sure you have enough food for your three-year-olds uh, to snack on in the car. You've got to make sure you have proper change for Indiana. Guys, I hate leaving Iowa. I can't do toll roads. I can't do it. I get so stressed out pulling up to the, I have 33 cents and they need 35 and now they're going to give me a fine. I get stressed out about toll roads. And all of this, right, adds to a sense of dread. Now, I am very much looking forward to getting to Indiana and being with my friends, to spend time sharing stories and meals and memories. It's going to be awesome. But I, mean, I was talking to my wife just yesterday, and we were both like, we got to get ready to go on this trip. Like, if, before you can get there, right, it's a little bit rough. I don't feel very thankful to be celebrating Thanksgiving on this side of the trip. Once I'm there eating turkey with my friends, I'm sure I'll feel very thankful. But on this side of the trip, it's just a lot of dread. So Jesus begins his meal with his disciples by telling them that he is about to suffer. Now, his disciples don't understand what he's talking about. His disciples never understand what he's talking about. This is like the sub-theme of the entire, all four Gospels. Is Jesus saying stuff and his disciples being like, for sure, but not understanding what's going on. So he says to them, I'm going to suffer, and they don't know what he's talking about, but that's okay, because Jesus knew what was going to happen to him next. He knew that three days from that moment he was in, he would be resurrected. He would have his resurrected body. He would never feel pain again. He would have his perfect resurrected body. He knew that that was going to happen. He knew in three days he would have conquered death. He knew that in three days the world would be changed forever because of what he was about to do. But he also knew that the space between the Last Supper and three days away when all of that was going to happen was going to be filled with a lot of pain and a lot of suffering. He knew the price he would have to pay so that three days later that would be possible. And knowing all of that, he sits down and Luke tells us that he takes the cup and he gives thanks. The word there for thanks, the thanks that Jesus gave, is Eucharistia. Knowing what he's about to go through, he's on the suffering side of freedom, knowing what he's about to go through, Jesus sits down, he takes the cup, and he gives thanks, Eucharistia. This cup and bread that he tells his disciples are his broken body 
and his spilled blood. The cup and the bread that represent the suffering and the pain that Jesus is about to endure. The cup and the bread that represent the meal that the Israelites ate centuries before on the eve of the suffering of Egypt, right? These are the cup and the bread of suffering. And Jesus takes them and he gives thanks. So often I think about gratitude in the same way that I think about love letters. It comes most naturally when things are going really well. When I go to a restaurant, I do not give a tip at the beginning of my meal. I got to get served well first. Things have to go well for me at that meal before I'm going to give my tip. I'm not going to express my gratitude until dinner is over. When I know that I'm going to have a long day, I don't say, I'm so glad to be home when I'm leaving the house for the day. I say, I'm so glad to be home when I've collapsed on the couch after my kids are all in bed that night, right? That's when I'm expressing my gratitude. We tend to express gratitude only when we feel grateful. Only when we feel grateful are we able to express gratitude. And when we only express gratitude when we feel grateful, gratitude is reduced to being a byproduct of relief. Gratitude is reduced to being a byproduct of relief. It's only something that we can have once relief has been triggered. Once we have relief from the tension, relief from the anxiety, relief from the struggle, then we can feel gratitude. That's the only time we feel gratitude is once we have that relief. And so gratitude is reduced now to a byproduct of relief. And it's great to be thankful once we have relief. That's a good thing. But if we are only able to express gratitude as a byproduct of relief, then we are missing out on what gratitude is all about, and we are missing the blessing that God is offering to us in gratitude. So the friends uh, that we're going to see in Indiana, Joe and Ashley, are uh, some of our best friends in the world. Uh, We got to know Joe and Ashley uh, when we were in the very first small group that we joined after we got married. And uh, they'd been married a year, and that felt like, wow, they've really done it. (laughs) A year, okay? So they were like, wow, they were like grown-ups. So we were in this small group with Joe and Ashley, and we developed just such a great friendship. They are some of the most generous and kind people I've ever met, and we love them so, so much. Uh, And a few years ago, uh, Ashley was diagnosed with cancer. And they told her when she was diagnosed that there was like a 90% treatment rate for this kind of cancer. They told her it's really, this is really the best kind of cancer you can get, is this, this kind of cancer. And so she started treatment and she did all that. Uh, and that turned out not to be the case for Ashley. If it's 90% treatable, Ashley is the 10%. Uh, and so she has uh, gone through transplant uh, therapy. She's gone through chemotherapy. She's gone through immunotherapy She's done every single cancer treatment that they can put her through at the two hospitals that she goes to for her uh, oncology stuff. Uh, But none of it has ever really sent her cancer into remission. Uh, Recently, Ashley wrote about her most recent scan. So they got to do these PET scans and see where the cancer is. She wrote about her most recent scan, uh, and she wrote about the realization she had that her cancer would likely never be cured, but she was going to have to learn to live with it. She was going to have to learn to deal with her cancer like it was a chronic illness, not like something that could be cured. And uh, 
when, when we heard about the PET scan, I mean, Kayla and I, it broke our hearts. I can't even imagine uh, how her parents felt or how she felt. It broke our hearts. But as I read this blog, I was struck because what Ashley kept saying was that she was so grateful for that news. In fact, she said thankful or glad about a dozen times in her update about her most recent PET scan. Not because she had a cure, not because she had relief, but because she believes that living with cancer will be more life-giving than trying to fight it. What she said was, the worst part about cancer is not having it, it's actually trying to cure it. That's what makes you feel so bad. Uh, There's people in this room I know who have gone through this or are going through this right now, and and you can attest to your own stories of what it is to live with cancer and what it is to try to fight cancer, and I know that's something that affects all of us in different ways. So she, Ashley, is standing firmly on the suffering side of freedom. In fact, she's standing firmly on the suffering side of freedom to the point where uh, she no longer believes that freedom is really something that's going to happen for her when it comes to the cancer diagnosis. And it is out of that suffering that she knows what it is to truly have and express gratitude. It is only because of the suffering that she knows how gratitude can be a gift for her in navigating what the rest of her life will be. Gratitude is not the reward on the other side of the rapids of life. Gratitude is the paddle that gets us across. If you've ever been whitewater rafting, you know it's a pretty crazy uh, experience. And I can't even imagine what the experience would be like if you didn't get a paddle at all. You just get flipped over, you get tossed around, and you'd wash up someplace. And then you'd think, oh, I'm so grateful that I didn't die in the water. That's not gratitude. Gratitude is the paddle that helps us navigate the waters of life. Are we always going to end up where we want to end up after that? No, there's still rapids. They're still going to take us where they're going to take us. But paddles give us the opportunity to navigate the course of the rapids of life. It gives us the opportunity, gives us the tool to be able to handle ourselves within the rushing water so that when we get to the other side, wherever the other side is, and the other side doesn't always look like freedom. For Ashley, it's not looking like cure from cancer. For you, it might not look like your marriage can be restored. For for you to have freedom from whatever it is that's assailing you in your life. That's not what freedom always means. But freedom is on the other side with Jesus. That's what we believe. And it doesn't always get to look like what we want it to look like. But when we use gratitude and when we accept God's gift of gratitude, it can help us navigate our way across the rapids of life to that place of freedom that he has for us. For Ashley, freedom means living with cancer like a chronic illness. But she really does feel free in that. And gratitude has helped her find her way to that place. She could be bitter. She could be angry. I wouldn't, I, she'd be justified in it to feel all of those things. But instead, she has allowed gratitude to be the paddle that has got her through these rapids to a place where she can stand and say, this is what freedom looks like for me. When Israel gave thanks to God that night of the first Passover, They did so as slaves in Egypt. They weren't free yet. When Jesus gave thanks to God on the night of his suffering and betrayal, he did so on the faith that God would use his suffering to bring freedom to the world. It's not a guarantee that everything's going to be the way you want it to be on the other side, but it's gratitude is giving thanks on the faith that God will navigate us through. 
that we can use that paddle to get to the other side that God has for us. When we give thanks on the suffering side of freedom, we create space for God to work in our hearts and our lives. If we are always waiting for relief, if we are always looking forward to a sense of relief so that then we can express gratitude, if we are stuck in that type of mentality, we close ourselves off to what God has for us in the process. We close ourselves off to the refining work that God will do in our lives, in our hearts, and this is so important, in the world around us. The world around us is changed when we find a way to express gratitude on the suffering side of freedom. It gives space for God to work. So next week, we are going to celebrate communion together. And I I would encourage you this week, as we prepare to come together and give thanks and express gratitude to celebrate Eucharist, even though we don't call it that, right? I would encourage you this week to to find ways to express gratitude right where you are in the middle of what you're right in the middle of right now today. To stop waiting for relief, to stop hoping for that time where it just won't hurt as bad anymore and I just won't be dealing with it anymore. To, then I can feel gratitude, then I'll be happy, then it will be fine. No, find a way to grab the paddle of gratitude that God is giving us right now and express that thankfulness in whatever situation you're waiting for relief from. Ask God to cultivate a sense of thanksgiving in your heart, even if you don't feel thankful at all. And come back next week. Come to the table. Come to celebrate Eucharist and give thanks for what Jesus has done. Express gratitude the same way that Jesus did at that Last Supper with his disciples. On faith that God has something for you on the freedom side. Let's pray. God, we are grateful. We are, are grateful um, that you love us. Uh, and it's interesting, uh, we might never have felt like your enemies, but in, this, in the Bible it says, while we were still enemies of God, God loved us. God, it is hard to express gratitude when you're stuck in the middle of something that feels so bad. And all you want is relief, God. All you want is to be on the other side. All you want is that version of freedom that you have in your mind where everything will be okay again. That's all, that's all. It's consuming of our thoughts, God, to get to that other side. And yet, you have offered us this tool, the paddle of gratitude not a byproduct of relief down the road, God, but something we can have right now that will guide us through, that will move us through these rapids, that will give us stability as we go through. And it it doesn't make it easy. It doesn't make the, the waters calm. But God, it gives us the opportunity to let you work in and through what we're going through. So God, I pray this morning that you would Give us the faith required to express gratitude on the suffering side of freedom. God, you are the author and the finisher of our, finisher of our faith. And I pray that you would write faith on our hearts this week. That we could express gratitude on faith of what is to come. Not just on relief when we get there. God, we love you. 
We don't understand you, but we still love you. And we know that you love us right where we are, just as we are right here this morning, and that you pour your love out on every single one of us here. Thank you, God. Thank you for your love. I pray this in your name. Amen.